so thankful that you're here, so glad to have you with us. Uh, This is a strong word this morning. Uh, I pray that our hearts would be ready to receive it, able to receive it, able to receive it with with joy. We've been giving uh, several messages about heaven, and this morning I wanted to talk about what Jesus requires from us as we wait for him to return and take us there. In this parable, Jesus tells us he requires readiness, vigilance, and faithfulness to our duties right up to the moment, the day that he returns. And I use the word require because Jesus does not merely request or prefer that we live in a certain way. He uses the word demand, require, and must to stress that our readiness for him to come is mandatory. There's a lot of teaching out there today that says Jesus requires nothing from us. Uh, He demands nothing, uh, that everything is fine no matter what we do or don't do, that how we live doesn't really matter that much. And of course, we can do nothing to save ourselves. Jesus alone can save us from our sins, and we preach that here strong. But along with that or in that forgiveness of sins, Jesus also calls us to a new life and he creates a new life within us by what the Bible calls being born again. And it's a new life where he is Lord. And he taught that in that new life we have responsibility to obey him and that there will be rewards from him for doing that. Jesus knew complacency would be the greatest spiritual danger between the time of his ascension to heaven and the time of his return. He told many parables to impress upon us the need to always be working, watching, waiting for his return. This is just one of them. So Jesus began this parable, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. His main point was you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming and he ended it to whom much is given, much will be required. Jesus used strong language, very strong language to show the dire consequences of not being ready for his return. Verse 46, the the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Jesus is willing to shock our ears in order to awaken us to the deadly danger of spiritual apathy. But he also stuns us with the outlandish rewards coming to those found faithful when he returns. Verse 37, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table and he will come and serve them. Wow, we can hardly believe that Christ would love us and die for us, but then he tells us, He will host a great feast for us and dress himself to wait on us and serve the food to us himself. How blessed are those who are awake when he comes. 
No doubt about it, Jesus taught outcomes. He taught outcomes strongly and boldly. One road leads to life. One road leads to destruction. We've just seen in the book of Revelation, one response leads to the new Jerusalem. Another response leads to the lake of fire. The whole Bible teaches big outcomes hinging on small spiritual decisions made every day of our seemingly ordinary lives. Paul said, each man's work will be tested. Some are saved as through fire, Paul said in that passage. In another passage, Jesus said, some are welcomed with well done, good and faithful servant. We can easily be deceived into thinking that life is mundane and rather meaningless, something we just get through and try to have as much happiness as we can before we die. But Jesus said, no, life is a great drama and how we live matters. And our response to him, our readiness for him matters. And this is the dignity of human life. We are human beings made in the image of God. We have the terrible potential to reject our maker or to love him. We can be ready for Jesus to come back or not ready. We can be hot or cold or lukewarm toward Christ. Your life, your attitudes, your thoughts, your responses, and how you live matters. Well, Jesus began this parable in verse 35. He said, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. So why do we get dressed? We get dressed because we're getting ready to do something, to go somewhere, to meet somebody. This word picture communicates an attitude of spirit. It's a frame of mind. Peter said, prepare your minds for action. Of course, we physically relax and we sleep, but inwardly, we are always to be ready to follow, obey, and serve Jesus Christ. We are to be vigilant, watching, waiting, expecting Jesus to come. Stay dressed for action. Let that image, let that word picture burn into your heart. Let it be who you are or let it become who you are. Let it be your identity, your self-image, your lifestyle. I am a child of God. I stay dressed for action. And then Jesus said, and keep your lamps burning. That's our job. That's your job. That's my job until Jesus comes. Jesus calls me. He calls you to lifelong faithful readiness and service. Keep your lamps burning. Or New American Standard says, keep your lamps lit. God commanded Moses, the fire on the altar shall be kept burning continually on it. It shall not go out. Leviticus 6, 12 and 13. The priests in the Old Testament had work to do. They had to keep wood on the fire every morning. They had to keep the fire burning. God commanded it. And Jesus said the same thing to us. Keep your lamp lit. The fire of God is His presence. It's 
the Holy Spirit in us. Paul told Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God within you. There's many ways that we keep our lamps lit, but we, we keep our candle burning or we keep our lamp burning by faithfulness in prayer, faithfulness in worship, faithfulness in being in church together, singing, hearing God speak to us in the Scripture. A lot of concerns have dominated the news and people over the past few years. A lot of concerns have dominated Christians over the last few years, especially the last couple of years. But I tell you this, keeping your lamp lit should be your biggest concern. That's the concern that really matters. That's, that's the concern that Jesus is concerned that you have. There's another parable in Matthew 25 about keeping our lamps burning called the parable of the ten virgins. In that story, ten virgins, or we might call them bridesmaids, were waiting for the groom so that the wedding feast could begin. Five of them brought enough oil to keep their lamps burning. Five brought their lamps, but they brought no extra oil. Well, the coming of the groom was delayed and their lamps of these five burned out. And so they had to leave. They left to get more oil. But by the time they came back, the groom had come and the wedding feast had already begun. The door was shut and they were excluded from the wedding celebration. Their problem was not that they didn't have lamps or that they didn't light their lamps. Their failure was that they didn't keep them burning. And Jesus, again, was teaching that same principle. Keep your lamps lit. Jesus might come today. He might come this afternoon. We, but it might be much longer. And we must prepare to serve Him with fire, with love, and with fervency for as long as it takes until He returns. This is not talking about just being super busy or hyped up. It is talking about being devoted, diligent, on duty until He comes. Jesus calls us to be about His business, living in a way that, that we know He would be pleased with when He comes and until He comes. When you hear a Bible teacher soften these teachings, it's time to run. Jesus said, do not let your lamp go out. Verse 36, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. This is a powerful word picture and I, I pray that it sinks into your mind and your heart and it becomes a, an image of how you live your life. These men were so eagerly anticipating their master to come home that the moment he knocks on the door, they jump up and open the door for him. Jesus said, be like that. Be like those men. Again, this is an attitude of heart. It's a frame of mind. Do you have it? 
Jesus said, it is this anticipation that purifies our lives. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as Christ is pure. 1 John 3, 3. So we are to always be thinking, living, and loving like we would want to be thinking, living, and loving if Christ returned this very hour. John said, dear children, continue in him, continue in Jesus, so that when he does appear, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If there is any spiritual indifference that you have grown comfortable with, any sin that you've made peace with, that would cause you to not want to rush to the door and welcome your Savior, then repent of that today. Change that. Change that about you. Change that about your life. Change that about your heart. Then Jesus moves on in this story to show the reward for those who live in this vigilance and readiness for his return. Verse 37, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. All right, we've had a couple of word pick, powerful word images. Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps lit. And now we move on to a third word picture. Stay awake, be awake when he comes. And Jesus said, I will reward this. Blessed are those who the master finds awake. Happy, fortunate, highly favored, are servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Verse 37, Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service. He will have them recline at the table and he will come and serve them. Verse 38, If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. The master in this parable, he so appreciates that his servants stayed awake to welcome him home, that he puts on an apron, and he has his servants. The master has his servants sit down at the table, and he serves them himself. This is what Jesus will do for those who live in readiness. In John 12, 26, a verse that I think without fail I have always shared uh, on graduation cards for high school seniors when you know people send out announcements for their their high school re uh, receptions and I always try to include this verse to graduating seniors if anyone Jesus said if anyone serves me my father will honor him it's a very profound principle I mean it's not just a principle it's a truth it's a reality and here in this parable, Jesus in essence is saying, if anyone serves me, not only will my Father honor him, I will honor him by serving him at my table in the kingdom of heaven. Some commentators have speculated that perhaps Jesus himself will serve us the wedding feast of the Lamb or maybe some other great feast. But what a motivation to stay awake. To stay awake. Jesus 
appreciates and values spiritual alertness. He appreciates and values those who stay awake. He will get up and serve them at his table in the kingdom. In verse 39, Jesus uh, switches the story up a little bit, but he keeps the point the same. He keeps driving home the same message, but he changes the story a bit. He says, but, verse 39, but know this, that if, the, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Obviously, in this phase of the parable, here we are the master. We are like the master. Jesus is like the thief coming at an unexpected moment. And in the same way, as a thief would show up unexpectedly, Jesus will show up suddenly. He says, at a time you do not expect. So always be ready or be ready always. Jesus commands consistency. He calls us to faithful love and service day in, day out, year after year. This is so important. We're not called to just come on the scene and kind of get on fire for a, a week or a month or even a year. We are committed. We are called by Jesus to constancy or consistency to be ready always, to be always on duty to always keep our lamp lit. Well, at this point in the parable, uh, Peter uh, says something that is so much like Peter. If you know much about him, you just uh, uh, maybe even chuckle a bit when, when he says this. He says, Lord, uh, are you telling this parable for us or for all? In other words, is, is this for the, us 12 disciples or is, are, you tell, are you addressing this to those other guys, other people out there? Well, Jesus does not appear to answer Peter's question, but he really does, and we're going to get to that. In Mark's version of this parable, Jesus gives a very direct answer. It, it's kind of curious. In Mark's version of this parable, uh, the, Peter's question isn't, in, isn't included, but it seems like Jesus' answer to Peter's question is included, because in Mark 13, 37, Jesus said, what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. So when Jesus gave this parable, he was speaking to a lot of people. If you go back to the very beginning of Luke chapter 12, verse 1, it says that so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling on one another. It's a big crowd that Jesus was addressing here. And Jesus said, at least drawing in from Mark's account of this parable, he was speaking to all. What I say to you, I say to you all. Jesus often said at the conclusion or the beginning of a parable, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, this is for people who have ears and are willing or able to hear. But this is also 
This parable was also for Peter and for the 12 disciples in a magnified way. And I think we will see what that is as we move on through the end of this parable. But right after Jesus, or Peter's question, Jesus seemed to just continue on teaching about being responsible to take care of the master's interests while he is away. Uh, verse 42, uh, and I, I quoted this from the NLT because I think it really gives the sense of this. Uh, it says, a faithful, sensible servant is the one whom the master can give responsibility of managing his other household servants. In other words, a good servant is one who will give food to the master's household and take care of the things that the master himself cares about. And this is part of what it means to be living in readiness. This is part of what it means to keep your lamp lit. A faithful servant is one who does what the master left us here to do. And so we have a responsibility to Christ in everything. Everything. Every area of life. Everything that goes on in our heart. Everything that goes on in our mind. Everything that goes on in our home. Everything that goes on in our work or public life, we have a responsibility to Christ in everything. But it is significant here, I think, that the responsibility Christ singled out is the responsibility of being faithful to feed and care for the other servants of the master. And you'll notice when we get to the bad servant that he neglects and abuses the, the, the other servants of the master. So what does Jesus require of us as servants? If, if, if we would be a, a faithful servant, what does he require of us? To love one another. To pray for one another. To build up one another. To serve one another. To honor one another. To feed, bless, help, use our spiritual gifts for the good of others. The Apostle John said, everyone who loves the Father also loves those born of Him. This is one of the clearest evidences of being born again. Born again people take responsibility for the well-being of God's family. We care, we begin to care by the work of God's Spirit in us. We begin to care about how God's people are doing. We're no longer living for ourselves but for him who died for us and we're living for his body, his church. We're attending our master's business. Jesus said, this is the person who will be blessed. This is a person who will be rewarded. This is the one who is blessed. How blessed is this person? And this is the one who will be given greater responsibilities, honor, privilege, and glory when the master returns. Verse 43 Blessed is that servant whom the master will find so doing when he comes. So doing what? Feeding, taking care of the, other, the master's other servants, doing what the master wants him to do while he's away. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all of his possessions. 
Now, that's a very stunning statement. And I can't even begin to expound all that that would mean. I, I don't know the specifics, and we aren't given a lot of specifics in Scripture. But we're repeatedly given this theme, those who endure will reign with him. Uh, we'll, we'll, Jesus said, he'll sit on, sit on my throne reigning with me. It's, it's just amazing. Certainly it means ruling, some position of ruling, of, some, of high position, honor, glory in the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. This is just one of many times that Jesus said the reward for serving him will be way out of proportion to anything we do. And it's, if, if you read the Gospels, you see this again and again. For instance, if you leave your house for his sake, you will receive a hundred houses. If you give a cup of cold water to one of his brothers, he will say, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. All that for giving a cup of cold water to one of my brothers. Jesus Christ is a generous king and master. He said, he who is faithful in a little thing will be placed over much. Uh, in another parable, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very small matter, you shall have authority over ten cities. Do you see how vastly out of proportion our rewards, our honor are, that are given to us from Christ? Just amazing. Do you do a, he's faithful in a very little thing. You're going to be put over ten cities. There's a cost of discipleship, but the pay is high. The pay is very high. The reward is outlandish. A.B. Simpson, in his devotional Days of Heaven Upon Earth, said, Someday we shall hear our names announced before the universe. And the record read of things we had long forgotten. How our hearts will thrill and our heads will bow as we shall hear our own names called and the Master shall recount the triumph and the services which we ourselves had forgotten. Like faithfully teaching Sunday school. Faithfully pouring out your life in the tasks Jesus has assigned you, whatever they are. Like faithfully loving other people. Faithfully speaking words of encouragement to other believers. Faithfully managing your own household. Great will be your reward in heaven. But then... We are given the end result of the person who lives as if his master isn't coming. Verse 45, but if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming, and he begins to beat 
the male and female servants and to eat and drink and to get drunk. In other words, this person thinks the master's coming is so far away that it just has no impact on how he lives now. Or maybe he begins to think there is no master. He's been away so long there really is no master or maybe he never will come. And so he lives for himself. He abuses the master's servants. He indulges his own desires. He eats and drinks and get drunk. He does not care about the master's interests. I read this week uh, of a survey of pastors who said that the biggest idols among churchgoers was personal comfort and self-protection. Interestingly, the, kind of the point of the article was that uh, instead of the idols of, of sex and money, uh, pastors were saying that among churchgoers and it was personal comfort and self-protection. Well, that, that mentality, having that be our idol or our foremost concern, that mentality is motivated by an absence of concern about Christ's evaluation of our lives when he comes. I know that's a sobering thought, but it's true. We should seek to live our lives the complete opposite manner of this servant that Jesus described here, who abuses the other servants, who lives only for himself, who indulges only his own desires, who just feeds himself, eats and drinks and gets drunk and doesn't care about the master's interests. We should flee from that example and that it should motivate us to, to live lives the opposite of that. And then verse 46, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Spurgeon said that he often found himself accused of making too much uh, of, of God's wrath, but he said, when I read the Gospels, I find Jesus speaking much more severely about the judgment of God to come, the wrath of God, than anything that I speak of. No matter what someone professes to believe, if they make no preparation for Christ to come, they are not destined for a good ending. Paul said, do not be deceived. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. James said, a faith without works is a dead faith. A kind of faith, a sort of faith that doesn't work, that doesn't spring to action is a dead faith. Then Jesus said, those who know more face stricter judgment. And there's a lot here that we could get into, but I'm going to highlight 
what I think are the really important things that Jesus is seeking to communicate in the context of this parable. Verse 47, And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will receive a severe beating. The one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a lighter beating. Simply by the fact that Jesus was teaching and warning the people in this crowd right before him, because of his teaching, they knew more. And they had a greater responsibility to respond to Jesus, to yield their lives to him, to believe and trust in him. They had a responsibility to do his will. You remember Jesus told the people in Capernaum, if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained. In other words, Sodom, the city of Sodom, would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it would be more bearable or more tolerable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Why? Because the people of Capernaum knew more. They heard more. They saw more. Jesus was right there teaching, warning, instructing, calling people to repentance and to the kingdom of God. Back when I was in college, the very first year of uh, school, I went to uh, a small uh, private college called Grace College of the Bible. It was in Omaha. And I had a professor there named Abe Penner. And one of the principles that he taught that always stayed with me, and it just, it just uh, penetrated my heart, and it may, it may not hit you the same way, but it was, three, it was just three words. Revelation demands response. God requires us to do something about what we know. James said, let not many of you become teachers because teachers will incur a stricter judgment. Why, why will their judgment be stricter? Because they know more. I wish we had more time to delve into that and all the implications of that. But we, but we don't. Jesus then closes his message in this parable by saying, everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. That is the answer to Peter's question. Yes, it's for everybody. But it's especially for you and the 12 and others like you who have been entrusted with much. It's for people like you who know the will of God and know what you are to do. And I don't think it's a, a stretch uh, from looking at the whole New Testament revelation to think that Jesus was aiming this at his own people, the Jews. They had been entrusted with the oracles, the revelation, the words of, of God. They had, been, they had seen so, so many miracles. It's for Americans who have 
the Bible so readily available. It's for American Christians who know the Word of God. What I say to you, I say to all. To whom much is given, much will be required. This is one of the most well-known statements Jesus ever made. And uh, I think uh, next to judge not lest ye be judged, I would say this saying of Jesus, to whom much is given, much, is, much will be required, is probably the most well-known and also most misused uh, statements of Jesus. It's generally pulled out of context and applied to all kinds of human situations that have nothing to do with Jesus Christ. I remember hearing several years ago, uh, John Gruden used to do uh, interviews of some of the new top prospects coming into the NFL. And I remember hear, hearing him interview a top NFL quarterback draft pick. And he wrapped up the interview by saying to this quarterback, to whom much is given, much is required. John F. Kennedy used it in a line in a speech in 1961 to the people of Massachusetts. It's, it's a principle that is true in this world, but Jesus applied it to his return, to his coming back. This is how it will be when I come back. To much is given, much will be required. A guy by the name of Ken Yates, and I don't know anything about him except I saw a quote by him online that, that I said amen to. He said, On the matter of Christian living, I cannot think of more sobering words. Jesus will expect more from those who know more. And Jesus clearly meant this parable to create a sense of responsibility as we wait for him to return. And I can't think of a better way to end this message than with the words of Jesus himself. Not, not my words, but the words of Jesus himself from, from Mark chapter 13, verse 33. Jesus said, it is like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each one with their assigned tasks. And he tells the one at the door to keep watch. And when he comes, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. I mean, that's the words directly from Christ to us and to our hearts. How blessed are those whom the Master finds awake when he comes. Let's pray.